Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, somebody's got to tell you that sometime, you know, so you might as well hear it in church. Praise the Lord. I was thinking about the little post I saw Pastor Brenda put up about yesterday about their 40, 40th uh, wedding anniversary. And uh, what a great milestone for yes. your pastors. You have precious pastors, you know. You're very, very blessed. But I'm sure Pastor Mark, through the years, had to look to Brenda and say, you're looking really good today. You know, so he, he probably learned that from me all the years I know him how to. Because I always tell him he looks good, especially after he swings the golf club. And we don't have any idea where the ball went. I say, you know, Pastor Mike, you're looking pretty good today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're loved by the Father? It is a great honor to be here. And uh, Pastor Mark did call me a couple of days ago and ask if I could hang out with you all uh, for this assignment. So uh, I was able to rearrange my world because I'd rather be with you than anywhere else. Hallelujah. So you might as well... You might as well... Uh, make some things happen. So God's good, but I know your heart's going to be happy today. I've got some refreshment for you. I'm not going to show you any mission video this morning, but I will tell you, God is really, really at work in the nations of the world. And so again, thank you for being planted in this church. Thank you for being faithful in your giving to your local church, uh, because out of your collective uh, generosity, this church, of course, has helped Mutual Faith for many, many years on many, many assignments. And uh, we're just thankful we're Carrying on, we're doing some smaller builds of uh, campuses now in uh, in West Africa. A couple little projects. Uh, our orphans in the Philippines at our Life Center campus there are doing really, really wonderful. They're all going now. I think this coming week to all get brand new shoes. So they're all excited about that. So somebody gave uh, money for all the kids to get all new shoes and stuff. Then we had our water pump went out and. Uh, we were able to get that, you know, the kids weren't able to shower for a number of days or bathe. And how many know when you have 24 kids not bathing, that's not all that good. So uh, we're, we're glad to have, you know, little things in life are important. Have you noticed that? You know, it's not just the big things, it's the little things. So never minimize, you know, the beauty of your life and the beauty of your giftedness, you know, because you are a gift to the world. No matter what your personality framework is, no matter what your... You're gifted, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't need a preacher at the Life Center. I needed a plumber, you know what I mean? And so your gifts are very, very important. And uh, so never minimize uh, the, the beautiful gifts God has in you. It's very, very important for somebody close to you. And uh, God, God uses you wonderfully. Praise the Lord. I want to share something this morning um, that uh, I think will help you. In fact, I think it will absolutely slow your heart rate down. I think it will put you at a place of peace. I think it will put you at a place of rest because, you know, a lot of times we believers live nervous. We're nervous of God. We're afraid. Dear God, am I doing everything right? You know what I mean? And we don't really enjoy a relaxing environment with the Father. But the Father really wants you to know his view of you is not based on you. So get over yourself. Your, God's view of you is based on Jesus. It's Christ alone. Paul said it this way, and he had, a better, he had a better resume than all of us, according to the law. But he said, I count it all a pile of doo-doo, right? Just that I might be found in him. So faith tells you you're there. 
You don't know you're in him apart from your faith telling you so. That's why faith is a holy commodity. It's a holy faith. Faith is the only thing that gives voice to the reality of what the blood did. So your faith for your position is key for peace. Uh, and, and, and this is where you can really not just rest, but you can kind of relax. And most, most of us in Christendom haven't always had that worldview. Let me explain by telling you a little story. I remember when I was a young boy growing up in Michigan. I was just back in Michigan. Uh, last weekend I was preaching for Bill Winston in Chicago doing his uh, services. And then I drove over to my old hometown about three hours away in Michigan, in western Michigan. little village had a, has a thousand people. And, and uh, I was there for 24 hours and just doing some things uh, in my heart. But I was just reminiscing, you know, about as a kid growing up and things. And I remember... You know, my mom taking me to, to town. I'm one of five kids, so we live five miles outside of the town in an old farmhouse. But my mom would take us five kids to the Baptist church. Beautiful church, beautiful people, beautiful experience. And uh, um, I, I remember, you know, going to the Sunday school and beautiful people teaching and, and uh, uh, learn wonderful truths of the, of the scriptures. But I remember when I was in... Uh, uh, in summer camp, I, I think I was about 11, and, uh, or thereabouts, maybe 10, I can't remember. But, uh, you know, we, a bunch of us kids were at this summer camp, and they had an old man there preaching. He was about 40. And uh, this, <laughs> this old man at summer camp was telling all of us kids about hell. And describing hell and telling us how long eternity is. And, you know, he scared the hell out of all of us. And he said, you know, if you don't want to go to hell, you know, you need to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. All your, and you got to be real good. you got to be real more. And I thought, man, I, I don't want to go to hell. So I actually responded to the altar call that night. I, I went out because I didn't want anybody to see me go up. But then I went back in and the old man prayed for me. And uh, he said, now go be good and, and love God, you know, with all your heart. So I remember walking out, out and it was night and the stars were big in Michigan. And I was saying, God, I, I really love you. You know, I help me to love you. Help me to help me to be a good kid and all these things. And it was a real heartfelt, beautiful. I was I I was transformed. I, I was a new creation in Christ It's a beautiful thing. But to be honest with you, every day I was focused on me. I wasn't focused on him. I was focused on me thinking, am I loving God enough? Am I, am I good enough? And, you know, to be honest with you, I never did know how to love God very good. I was a failure. I think, love God with all my heart? Are you kidding me? 24-7? Love God with all my strength, all my emotional? Are you kidding me? I don't do that. And uh, so I got really disappointed in my life real quick through my teen years. And now I could go to services and look good. Yeah, I could look good. But deep down, I thought, you know, I, I, I don't do this love thing very good. I don't think I love God with all my heart very good. And so uh, I remember I went to college. And then my last year of college, I got called into the ministry to preach to the nations. Think about this. God uses and calls somebody who's that insecure. 
Just think, I was, I was now assigned to go tell other people how to love God. And I don't even know how to love God myself. What a bummer, you know. What a, what a calling to have. So I went into the ministry. And God blessed it. Are you kidding me? God blessed it. And uh, for many years, I was disappointed with me. Have you ever been there? None of you. You're wonderful. (laughs) Let me show you something really cool that many, many years ago, God put in my spirit. I've never really preached it. Until now. But you'll like it. Go with me to 1 John 4, verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10. You can see it up on the screen or find it in your Bible or on your modern technology. Here's what John, remember John the, the, the Beloved writes this. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He's now older in his life. Remember when John would write his own gospel, he would never use his own name as a pronoun. Like John was there. He would say the Beloved One was there. Or he would say the one whom Jesus loved was there. John's focus was totally tweaked out in a different worldview than everybody else around Jesus. And so he writes later in his life and he says this, In this is love. Sounds like kind of a definition, so to speak. In this is love. Not, let's pause right there. Not, not that we love God. Think about this. You know, people always say, Keith, I bet you when you go all over the world, I bet when you go to the Middle East, I bet you tell all those Muslim people how to love God, don't you? I said, not really. I don't preach to get anybody to love God. I preach to get people to be loved by God. Notice what the scripture says. In this is love. Not that we love God or that we love him, but that he loved us. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is just a big theological word. It simply means the covering. Or it can mean like the mercy seat. In other words, the definition of God's love is for us, not our love for him. In this is love, not that you love him. You know what I like to tell people today? Stop being disappointed in you and your capacity to love him. Take that thought out of your worldview because if you're truly honest, it will leave you very depressed. Because you just can't do it perfectly. Nobody can. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus is the only one who could do it. And love your neighbor as yourself. In the new covenant, the new equation is not your love for him. The new equation is his love for you. How do you know he loves you? Through the picture that Jesus Christ was the propitiation or the covering or the mercy place for you. For all your sin and not your sin. John also says in 1 John 2, not your sin, but the sin of the whole world. He uses the same phrase about the propitiation for our sins. Not your sins only, but the sins of the whole world, it says. 1 John 2, verse 2 or thereabouts. So in this is love. In this is love. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us. 
And he sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know how you can find a real peace point in your life and lower your nervous rate? And, 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 and quit trying to put on something like you're a spiritual giant? You sit still in the presence of the Lord. And you meditate on the absolute beauty of the work of the one, Jesus, the Savior, who does all things well, and he covered you. And all you do is say thank you. And the more you say thank you, it's your faith speaking, and faith will see you in him. And this is the joy of being loved. You find yourself in him, and then you know what happens automatically. You begin to love him. You begin to love God. With all your heart. You love God with all your soul. You love God with all your mind, all your, your, all, your, all your emotion. And you do it like by accident. You do it with no thought. It's just the thrill of the love of the Father. And this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And he said, Jesus... To be the propitiation for our sins. You know, it's like the worldview I had when I was young with the old 40-year-old man, that, that, that ancient guy who was preaching. Tell us, that, you know, that we had to love God so hard and be good to be saved. Otherwise, you got hell, bro. And it's long and hot and terrible and tough. And, you know, we're all like shaking like, man, I don't, I don't want that. So it put on me a worldview yeah. that it's up to me. Do you know what I've learned? I don't save myself. Jesus is the savior of this brother from start to finish. And he's got me covered. Hallelujah. You can rest with God. You can have a peace point with God. So I used to always have a passion in my life, even in early ministry. Man, I'd pray hard. And hard didn't seem to work, so I'd pray harder. Huh? I would do and do and do and do and do and crave more and crave more and crave more and you know whatever until I was absolutely never at peace with God because I thought I just wasn't good enough so the Lord delivered me from me many years ago and I find that this is really something that many many people like me in the body of Christ need because usually people wake up and they think they've got a They've got to do something for him or show their love for him or, or do, do, do something spiritual to prove they're in. I just wake up and say, hallelujah, I'm sucking air. Glory to God. <laughs> Father, you love me today. Huh? I'll get out the juice and the bread. I'll have communion. I'll remind myself, Jesus is the propitiation for my sin. And then out of that beauty in receiving... I'll love the Father and I'll do what I need to do in life in terms of these things. But in this is love. So notice the passion isn't up to you to love him. Really, it's God's passion for you to receive his love and to believe you're good. You're good when you're bad. Can it be? You know, I was at the beach uh, yesterday morning with my two grand uh, daughters and, uh, um, so I went for like two hours and I hadn't been to the beach this year. And the water was warm. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And so we were in the little water and the waves beating up against us and just had a good time. But I noticed uh, the life, the lifeguard shack, number 22. We were there in Santa Monica. 
And you know, the lifeguard would save people who yell for help. You know, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just, just call. Even if you're bad, even if you're good, even if you just call. Jesus, do you know, but I found that the lifeguard will save people that don't even call. Do you, do you, do you know that God's love for you is far deeper than you can imagine? And he's going to get you to a place where you look to him and yield your heart, yield your love, yield your, yield your, your confidence to him instead of you. You'll, you'll be out of the realm of self-confidence and self-sufficiency and into the sufficiency of the love of the Father. And this is where I like it. I like my life planted in the beauty of the reality that in this is love. Not that I love him, but that he loves me. And he sent Jesus to be my savior. He's taking it all. That's the good news. I have a, a graphic. Uh, I think the, the folks up in the media room, uh, that little picture, the graphic picture that we sent. Do you have that available by any chance up in the media room? There it is. This is what I want to talk to you about today. Passion for his passion. Notice most of us are taught to have passion for what we're doing. Most of us are taught to have passion in vision. Most of us are taught to have passion to love God more and do more and be more. And all that's wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. All that's wonderful. But I find in my life, doing that worldview of passion for more and passion for this and passion for that is exhausting. And to be honest with you, it's very, very disappointing. It's very disappointing. And if you don't believe it, just go look in the mirror one night. Say, dear God in heaven, what have I signed up for? You know, in my, in my season of life, I've come to the place in the love of the Father to only have passion for his passion. See, that's what that verse was about. In this is love, not that we love him. So stop beating yourself over the head. Stop nitpicking everybody in your family and everybody in the church who doesn't love God as good as you do. Just, just let it be. <laughs> just let it be. And pray, Father, let them receive your love. Yes, that's it. Surprise them, even if they're not looking for you. Even if they're not calling on your name. Even if they're not Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Even if they have issues, even if they're in sin, Lord Jesus, surprise them with an astonishing love that makes them look to the Lamb and understand I'm covered in Him. He was the propitiation for my sin too, where they can just nod and yield and say amen or say so be it and experience the beauty of the Father. So a passion for his passion is not to have a passion to do more, to think you're in. It's just a passion for what he's done for you to know you're in, to know you're accepted, to know you're in the kingdom, to know you're righteous, to know you're blameless, to know you're holy, to know you're redeemed. It's a beautiful thing. And when you have a passion for his passion, 
That's when you, the love of the Father in Christ, the love of the Lamb, is unveiled to you. So love's definition, really First John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we love him, not that we love him, not that we loved him, but that he loved me. And I sent Jesus. My peace point every day of my life, every day, is just to suck it up, the beauty of the love of the Father, and say, cool. In the midst of circumstances that are nasty and overwhelming and burdensome and don't look all that good, I'm loved by the Father. And you know what I found in my life? Living this way over the last decade or so gives me more momentum for other types of vision because out of being loved by him is where my vision comes. If I put a list together, you know, if you were calculating things and all the things I tried to do in my own strength to make, you know, sure I was being successful or my gift was effective or whatever, it pales in comparison to the beauty of what love does. Love is magnificent and it's restful. I'm not a nervous wreck quite as often. I still have my moments when I'm not being loved by the Father and try to do it myself. But a passion for his passion. You know, passion simply means suffering. Remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ? Talking about the week of Jesus going to the cross and the movie showed the the resurrection of Jesus. But, you know, do you have a passion for what he did on your behalf, that he was the propitiation for your sin. If you have a passion for that worldview, it tells you who you are. Go with me real quick to Jude, the book of Jude. It's only one chapter, verse 20 and 21. Jude, verse 20 and verse 21. Are you all glad you're here this morning? Look at this, precious friend. It says, but you, beloved, I love that word. But you, beloved, in other words, ones who are being loved, you build yourself up on your most holy faith. Most times people think faith is for doing and accomplishing and this, that, and the other. And yeah, that's, I guess, true. But really, faith in New Testament terms secures your righteous reality for you to view. Faith can give you God's view of you in Christ And not God's view of you based on you. You need faith to see yourself as righteous and say it so. So it says you build yourself up on your most holy faith. Why is faith called holy? Why, why, why would faith be holy? Because faith is the only, um, element that you have that speaks the truth of the propitiation or the work of Jesus over your life. Faith, is the only thing that you have that can announce the reality of the blood's work over you, that I'm righteous by faith. That's why faith's important. It says you build yourself up doing that. If I were you, I'd do it, I'd do it often. I'd do it every day myself. I'd do it every time I'm full of fear or discouraged or depressed. Any, any attack on my soul of these elements, I use my most holy faith to tell me that 
Jesus, the propitiation for my sin, my passion for his passion, tells me the truth of who I am. Now I have peace. I have peace in the pain. I have peace in the storm. I have peace no matter what's happening because I believe the Savior is saving. I believe the Savior is saving. And and, and it's very important that you build yourself up on your most holy faith. Otherwise, if you don't build yourself up on your most holy faith and take your right standing by faith, you'll try to be righteous based on yourself. And that's the quickest way to live a judgmental life. Because you'll compare yourself to everyone and everything to think you're there. Thank God that righteousness with God has nothing to do with your sufficiency or your capacity. It has to do with just believing. And this is love, not that you love him. So get rid of the disappointment. Get rid of the anxiety. Get rid of the judgment. And just take time. Be loved. Be loved. Be loved some more. And see what it does for you. It will absolutely change your whole relational component with the Father. And it will give you the view of how righteous you are as you are. And that's the beauty of the love of the Father. It says, but you, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Huh? Verse 21, it says this. Verse 21, keeping yourselves in love with God. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say to keep yourself in love with God. That's kind of odd. It says keep yourself in the love of God. See, most times I used to always counsel people, well, you know, friend, with all your problem and pain and challenge and sin and, you know, you just got to love God harder. You got to love God more and try, try to love God more. I don't I don't give that counsel anymore. I just say in your in your pain, in your weakness, in your shame, as you're condemned, as you're depressed, just sit still. Pour yourself a drink. And be loved. Get yourself a glass of iced tea. Sit on the porch. Sit under a tree. Go to a park. Get one scripture. In your heart. Jesus is the propitiation for my sins. And while you're drowning in life and the waves are beating the crap out of you. And you've already gone down twice and swallowed as much salt water as possibly you can handle. And you're thinking you're going down with good. Just sit there and be loved. Because there's a Savior. There's one who rescues to the uttermost. And just say, Jesus, you're the propitiation for my sins. I'm loved by the Father. And that's good enough for me. If you can do that, it takes faith. But if you can do it, you'll see yourself righteous in your pain. You'll see yourself righteous in your mistakes. You'll see yourself righteous in your frailty. And it's in your frailty, the Bible says, in your weakness, your real strength is evident. Because he comes swooping in, in the beauty of his love. So it says, keep yourself in the love of God. So that's what I do each day. I build myself up on my most holy faith. I tell myself I'm righteous despite how I feel and despite how, you know, good I've been. You know, we all sin in word and deed. Have you noticed that? Turn to your neighbor and say, I know that's true about you. <laughs> yeah, no, we, 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 all, we all have moments where we miss the mark. Isn't that true? But the beauty of even, you know, 
I mean, you, can, you don't even have to miss the mark in sin. You can just have self-righteousness. I mean, you can do everything right and think, man, am I top tier in this thing? No, you're at the bottom of the rung. Self-righteousness is the stench before the Father. So just be loved. Have a passion for his passion. So that was love defined. Look at Romans 5, 8 real quick. Here's what the Bible says. But God demonstrated. So this is love demonstrated. His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of that. He died for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Paul the Apostle said this, For I am determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What was Paul's mental picture in terms of what he wanted to communicate to all the churches? It was one worldview. It was the passion of the Lamb. And so it's very, very important that we have a passion for His passion. This is where you find the love of the Father in the death and the rising of Jesus Christ because it's in His death and in His life. Are you good to God? And that, to me, is so refreshing and so very, very beautiful. You know, sometimes people have said, they say, Keith, you know, well, I'm afraid that if I just let God love me and if I don't work hard to love him back, you know, then, then maybe, then maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I, you know I'm, not, I'm not doing, doing something right. Well, you know what I found with, with all of the, the New Testament saints, like in the book of Acts? What, what, what propelled them to do great things? What propelled Saul to become Paul? It wasn't his effort or his righteousness to the law. That made him judgmental. That made him condescending. That made him critical. That made him absolutely break everybody who didn't believe like he believes. And that's very tempting for us who, who are wrapped in our own worldview of something. So what did Jesus do to Saul of Tarsus? He showed up, remember, in a bright light, knocked him off his high horse. This, by the way, is in Acts 9. And when Saul fell to the ground, Jesus spoke to him and said, Hey, bro, it's me. What's going on? Why are you persecuting my my, my people? Why are you hurting my family? And so we had a conversation with Saul. And the Bible says that Saul was just blinded by the brightness of the light. And he went to a certain house. And in this house, he had somebody come named Ananias. Ananias is a word that means the gift of grace, really. Grace came and got him out of a worldview of righteousness based on the work of the law to a righteousness that was by faith. Holy faith entered his life where he could understand a righteousness that was by Christ alone. And Ananias taught him five principles, which you can read in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts 22, that God's chosen you. You can know his will. You'll see Jesus. You'll hear his voice. You'll be his witness. The five principles of preservation so Saul could become Paul. What happened through the vision of the passion for his passion? He changed his passion for the law to a passion for the lamb. What happened? Every assignment that God could give him was birthed through his worldview of the cross. And that's why he penned the verse we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, I'm determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So vision and momentum and, and productivity 
in Paul's life came through what he looked to. Think about Peter's life. In Peter's life, he was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the original disciples of Jesus, but he still was clueless to the beauty of the righteousness, which was by faith and faith alone. He still thought there were insiders and outsiders, people you can cut off based on the way they lived or what they did. So Jesus kept trying to change his mindset, and Peter couldn't do it. I mean, Peter, even on the day of Pentecost, seemed to preach a pretty good message. I mean, 3,000 people got saved, but evidently from the heart of the Father, Peter still didn't see it right. So God put Peter in a deep sleep. It's called a trance. It's found in Acts chapter 10. Right, And in the trance, God comes to Peter in a vision. And what's he give him a picture of? The passion through pictures. By giving him animals, rise, kill, and eat. Remember the word of Jesus came to him, rise, kill, and eat? He said, not so, Lord. I wouldn't do any of that naughty stuff. You know what? what that's, that's dirty to me. And then God said something to Peter that's astonishing. What I have cleansed. Don't you call dirty. What I've cleaned. See, God's view of cleanliness is different than yours and mine. Because cleanliness before the Father is by faith. Is by faith. And Peter said, no, I don't like this vision. So he stayed in his trance and said, okay, if you don't like it, let me give you a version two of the same thing. Hmm? And he gave him the same vision. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything Dirty, unclean. I'm a nice guy. I'm doing this right according to the word. And Jesus said, again, Peter, what I have cleaned, don't you dare call dirty. See, you're going to say something's dirty or something's clean based on the flesh or based on the righteousness of Jesus. So you've got to decide how you're going to live and how you're going to minister. You're going to have to decide how you want to move in the astonishing love of God to reach people. At least be the friend. Without being like the 40-year-old guy preaching to me and just telling me about hell. And scaring the hell out of me. And then putting me in a place where I couldn't live at peace with God because I was always a nervous wreck. I wasn't good enough. You know, there's a place in Christ that's so beautifully free. There's a liberty in the lamb that's so astonishing. So the third time, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, 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 not me. I'm Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. And Jesus said, what I have cleaned through the cross. Don't you dare call dirty. And then Peter was awakened out of his sleep by the Lord. And you know what he found? He found out he had an assignment for Gentiles, people that were... Dirty in his worldview. And what did he do? He went to the place where the Gentiles were and he shared the love of the Lamb and what happened. It's astonishing. The dirty Gentiles said yes to Jesus. They had a holy faith that declared them righteous and Peter said it was good with God and good with him. And they were filled, all 12 of them, with the Holy Spirit. You can read it. It's in book Acts, verse, uh, verse something, but in chapter 10. Hallelujah. The beautiful, the beautiful thing about the love of God is you can come to a place to be absolutely astonishingly loved and it, 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 it works with you on how to work with those around you. Because how many know that all of us have little pain points? All of us have little sufferings. Our sufferings need to be in the suffering of the Lamb and it needs to be shaped from the suffering of the Lamb. 
And it's the beautiful thing of when we can view and have a passion for his passion that we're loved and accepted, we extend it, we minister in powerful ways. And as we're looking now, the longer you look, the more you can be transformed into the image. So it's not that we tolerate the mishaps and sin and shame and problems of our life, but we say the way you fix the mishaps, the sin, the shame of our lives, is just keep looking. Just sit still. Let faith speak on your half that you're righteous as you are. Keep looking to the love of the Lamb and let the Lord do a complete work and manifest through you. He'll fix. He'll work. But it's, a, it's, it's unfortunately, it's a lifelong renovation project to our flesh side. Our spirit is recreated. But our, sin is in the flesh. And as long as you have a body, sin will be present. What a bummer. What a bummer. But the beautiful thing, your spirit is recreated in Christ Jesus. And you are that loved. You are that blessed. So have a passion for his passion. I've about preached long enough. Are you all glad you came this morning? Hallelujah to first service. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Can you do that? Hallelujah. Amen. And this is love. Not that you love him. But that he loves us. And he sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for your sin. Whenever you're disappointed with yourself, just get by yourself. And breathe real deep and focus on the passion of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection. Nod your head. Say, I believe it. That's the truth about me. And learn to be loved. Let God love you in such a way that it changes your worldview. And you'll find from that few moments, you'll give your love back to him. And you'll give your love one to another. That's the only way I can really, really love those around me well. Whether it's family, whether it's co-workers, whether it's the world I'm in. The only way I can do it well is to be loved by the Father and believe it. Because then I can extend it. And that's the way you can too. Praise the Lord. Put your hands over your heart. Father, these are your precious people. Let their hearts be refreshed today. Thank you for an abundance of grace. Thank you for the gift called righteousness. Thank you that we reign in life through Christ Jesus. Father, I ask that every person in uh, this place this morning can rest right now. Can just be still. And just quietly, friend, while you're just sitting still, just think of the passion of the Lamb. Think of the cross. Think of the resurrection. And just nod your head deep in your spirit, so to speak, and say, that's good enough for me. Jesus is my everything. I believe I receive his love. And from this, your love will him. Your love for him will be voiced. In greater ways, your love for others will be expressed. In greater ways, ministry will flow abundantly in your midst through the life of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. At Heart of the Bay, I thank you for what you're doing in each of our hearts. Jesus, we give you praise and glory and honor for this day. Father, thank you that it's so beautiful outside. My goodness, maybe the second service should be under the trees outside. Hallelujah, so beautiful. But thank you for loving us. Thank you for a beautiful day. Let every person in this place have the refreshment of the spirit of their hearts. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.